I, I was going to do Jim Joyce. This is how excited <laughs> I am to see you today, man. Um, it's, I honestly did not realize it's Wednesday and I just got like really excited about three hours ago. So that it's Wednesday. So it's a big day. It's a big day in our week. Every week. <laughs> it keeps showing and up every week. I know. And pretty consistent. Uh, HB Orlando. So you're, I'm assuming you're in Florida, not just. Yep. We're in Florida. This is health beacons, new Orlando office. Uh, so it's one of our customer care um, waste management as kind of support center. So we're, we, we just opened this premise up like maybe about, about oh, a wow. month ago and trying to action it. So well, take it awesome. over the world. Amazing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, listen, one, one city at a time. Right. Um, but you know, it, yep. we're, we're actually, Marie and I heading over in a couple of weeks to Vive, right. Or V, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Right. To be honest, Vive. Viva. That sounds awesome. That sounds yeah, awesome. The, we're really looking forward to it. I think um, probably to be to be fair for those watching, I less about content. I think it's just that pent up demand of J- JPM not happening. It seems like you know right. many people are. Is that you think gathering. that's going to be the conference? Is that is Vive kind of that or because Miami is now this like Californian you know kind of replacement <laughs> therapy? <laughs> <laughs> you know that's, that's that's interesting. I mean, certainly during the the C nineteen word that we're not supposed to say, even though we have been abusing the hell out of it. Right. Um, right. I think many investors, entrepreneurs, moved to Florida in general, but you know certainly Miami. So we're yeah, I mean, looking forward to you know tons of meetings set up. Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to losing my voice finally again. Just by but are you on stage? Are, are you We're on stage? Doing, uh, yes, both Marina and I are doing something uh, within the startup health pavilion okay. components, and not at the Vibe Main. Um, and then I think I'm moderating a panel or two uh, again with okay. uh, with our our friends uh, Startup Health. Um, so shout out to all of you. And then um, you're. And then we have our. We have our big event coming up at the end of March is for anyone that um, in San Antonio, right? Where you're. Yes, I am. I talk am to our fans moder- about that. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, per- uh, Risa Parissa, um, <laughs> um, awesome person. And uh, she was on the shot and she invited both Jim and I to be on a panel. I don't remember the top of my head the uh, the actual description, but something around new, new uh, modalities of care. And so uh, yep. it's, um, you know, we're going to do a version of the shot there with many other, you know, people on that panel. Awesome. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm busting chops, but. Um, and it's on St. Patrick's Day. And it's on St. Patrick's Day and in San Antonio, Texas. So um, looking forward to that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, listen, we'll save the rest of the March travels of both of us for the next one. We have an awesome guest. We're kind of hopping back over. We were in the U.S. last week, and then we're hopping over to the U.K. Um, and then, uh, so Liz, uh, Ashel Payne, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, but Liz and I met uh, years ago somewhere in a panel we were together and then kept in touch, and hopefully she won't call us any bad names here. <laughs> welcome welcome to the I, chat I can't, I can't promise that i cannot promise that i won't be calling anybody radness i'll try my best I, i'm already awesome. we're we're already charmed <laughs> by the accent this is great we're sick oh. of, we're sick of li- listening to americans oh well, there you go there you go the only way is down <laughs> uh, 
No p- pleasure. Nice so I, if you guys haven't met, but you know Liz, Jim, Jim, Liz. Um, th- this is how. This is how it goes, and welcome to as as Jim. What do you call it? And in- this this show is an intervention for us as the uh, the you know the pandemic <laughs> right, right. <did> it all. <laughs> Your job is to keep us sane, right? You know, we're just trying to get through the week, Liz. And, and so we bring on amazing people like yourself to kind of pump us up and oh, give us different perspectives. You. Well, fabulous. <laughs> well, I'm going to try my best on all kinds. Yeah. And um, I, I was trying to reminisce where you and I met. I mean, we were definitely at some oh. panel. I think Aline was moderating maybe even, but I, it was In years Helsinki? ago. That sounds about In right. Helsinki? That sounds Such about an exotic. right. I know. Such an exotic lifestyle. <laughs> Listen, yeah, and, and, I feel like we knew each other before that, actually, or of each other. Knew so of, I think yeah, it's hard not to each other. Of. I think <laughs> of each other for sure. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. but but now for the millions of listeners and viewers, as I always say, tell us who Liz is. Like your journey to you know. Yeah, of we'll, course. We'll, we'll, How long we'll have you got? <laughs> I mean, plenty of time. We're in control of our own destiny here, but we do try fabulous, to keep it to fabulous. 40 minutes total. So yeah. Okay. So, um, so, yeah. So um, when, I, when I get asked that question, I always start it from when I was 15. And when you're about 15, 16 at school, you get asked, what do you want to do? And you think, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what job I'm going to have. Um, It's a really um, restrictive question, but I knew um, underneath all of that what my passion was, and my passion was to help people. And so that naturally made me think of healthcare. But what I also knew was that I'm extremely squeamish. So I thought, I can't be a medic and I can't be a nurse. So I started looking around, you know, what other roles were out there? And I fell upon speech and language therapy. And I thought, mm-hmm. and as, as this session goes on, you'll get to know I quite like talking and communicating. So I thought this could be the job for me. You know, I can go out and help people with communication challenges. And um, I went through university um, and I was so excited on day one when I got my degree. I thought, great, today I'm going to help people. I'm going to start seeing patients. So six patients and I thought... Well, that was that was that was no good. What about everybody else? I've only seen six people, and so that this was a long time ago, way before we had smartphones, way before we had technology, laptops, computers. So at the time, I got interested in stripping out waste so that I could see more patients, and it was really exciting. So I got involved in lean methodology and Six Sigma. And um, I went round the service and stripped out waste. And we were now all seeing 10 patients a day. And we massively reduced waiting lists, you know, from 18 months to 11 weeks within three months. And then I got the gig of going around all the services and transforming the pathways. And that was great. But, and there was a big but, there's only so fast that you can run. And I thought this was still not getting to the heart of the challenge. How can we provide more care to more people when they want it, because I can only see a patient one at a time when I can see them. So fast forward a few years and started to see the rise of technology and then digital health. And I thought, this is it. This is my Eureka moment. It's digital health because you can deploy digital health technologies to millions of people all at the same time. 
But then I started thinking, why are we not adopting these technologies? Why are systems not embracing them? And I then had a gig um, working um, nationally within the NHS to help drive adoption of digital health technologies and support the economy to grow by providing a sustainable economic development for these technologies. And it was a disaster. And I was back to square (laughs) one because I was back to having to talk about individual technologies to individuals. I then um, started working internationally, um, working across Europe and in North America, and I thought it's going to be different everywhere else. It's just special this for the NHS, and it's not. And so I got obsessed with the challenges associated with the adoption of digital health. Mm -hmm. And the first problem that I found was people didn't even know that these technologies existed. Healthcare professionals are not even trained in these technologies. The second is once you know that there are hundreds of thousands of technologies, where do you access them? The app stores don't work. So where's even the long list, let alone accessing the right technology for me or my patient? The third ultimate challenge is trust. How can I trust the technology? And then the fourth one, which people don't often think about, is if you're going to recommend a technology to your patient, what happens when it changes? Whose duty of care is it? Who's holding the risk? Who's managing that future risk? And so I got obsessed with these problems and um, I started talking to anybody who would discuss these problems with me. I really was enjoying my jobs. At the time, I was working with lots of interesting people. And I had a conversation one day um, with an innovator who said, can you help me get my product into the NHS? And I said, well, I can give it a go. But the problem is systemic. And Mm -hmm. started talking about these problems. And I'd obviously started thinking about how we could fix these problems. And um, the premise was very much replicated in how we distribute drugs. So when we distribute a drug, we have a clear process of validating. We then have a formulary. We then have a prescription infrastructure and training. And that was my idea for digital health. So let's now... That's, that that's now the digital health library or is yeah, that the... so, well so, so then what happened was i then had this conversation with this innovator who said i think you need to write that into a business plan and it's a bit like a fairy tale this bit now so i went home i'm a very optimistic person and i thought yeah and i'm a bit of a geek so i wrote this business plan friday night bottle of wine wrote this business plan sent it off no end <laughs> that's important uh, exactly exactly absolutely it always helps and um sent it off following week I got a phone call hey or is it Liz and I said yes it is it's Sir Terry Leahy now you might not know that name but here in the UK is very well known mm. he was the chief exec of Tesco so he transformed the way in which we supermarket shop and um, he's now the chairman of Morrison's and he said I've had your business plan sent to me and so we had um like a dragon's den style conversation and um a few days later, he said, I'm going to invest. And at the, at the time, I thought, oh, shit, I'm going to have to do this now. Um, but since then, what, what I did was I took that seed fund and we created a review process and launched about six months later with the world's largest reviewed library of digital health technologies. Um, and that was nearly seven years ago now. Um, obviously, since then, we've, we've, uh, we've changed and grown. Um, but that, that was my initial story. Amazing. And that's a, comp- that's a company or that's a nonprofit or? Yeah, no, Orca. Um, so Orca actually stands for the Organization for the Review of Care and Health Apps. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. However, 
our mission is not to review. Our mission is to improve lives through digital health. But the uh, review is so we're Orca. Important. Oh, health beacons Orca. There you go. Yeah, yeah, ah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Ah, yep. There you go. Yeah. So, so, um, <laughs> so, yeah. So we set it up as a company um, because I took investment. And um, and the and, and yes, yeah, so we we're a limited company. Um, we um, have adapted our business model over the years. We've got a really complicated business model, and that's because um, we want we've been really careful about conflicts of interest. And okay, because yep. a big part of our mission is to improve quality. And we've also learned from other companies that's tried to do this in the past. And we want to support innovation to thrive. We don't want to, we want to support with a carrot rather than a stick. Okay. Love it. Lovely. So maybe I'll back up all the way to when you were 15 or 16, just a quick comment. <laughs> um, when I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. So just, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, well, I don't. I don't. I'm just enjoying the journey. I'm absolutely exactly. enjoying right. the journey. Exactly. Well, my, my 50, I have a 15 year old. My son, Sebastiano, just turned 15 yesterday. Yeah. So happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> happy so birthday. he may be going through similar, similar. Uh, yeah. Thinking. Well, yeah. My six, my, I've got a 16 year old son. So he's being asked this question now. And at the minute, he wants to be a doctor. And okay. I'm saying, look, focus on that if that's what you're interested in, but don't see it as only ever doing that. It's a journey mm. of um, enlightenment. Absolutely. Sorry, I, I, I was just writing some, some of these brilliant words down. That's Jour okay. Journey of right. enlightenment. That, that's going to be the summary. Absolutely. Well, no, yeah, and I think, I think it's a privileged journey, isn't it? I mean, I'm having the real opportunity to see my vision really come to life, and that is a privileged position. Um, mm. You know, when I walk into the office and I see all those people pushing forward, um, you know, with breaking down the barriers to digital health, it's just amazing because, you know, for me as a clinician, only being able to see one patient at a time and now being able to help millions of people through a federated network approach is just so exciting. I think we also um, need to capture a moment here, though, is the best conversations that ever happen in life um, involve a bottle of wine and no NDA. Absolutely, absolutely. I I, I absolutely compare. With was it, although I feel like I sign an NDA every day of my life at the moment. This was the this was the premise for this for the show. It's the shot of digital health therapy. I mean, this is where you know we would meet at you know whether it's health excel events or or others, Jim and I and many others, and you know maybe shot a glass of wine. But so I, I agreed, <laughs> uh, agreed. Um, Liz, I'm going to rewind back. Uh, I used to be kind of back and forth to UK and constantly hearing from entrepreneurs how, and this was probably about, I'd say, six plus years, so six, seven, maybe even eight years ago, uh, how difficult it was to kind of push innovation through the NHS. Um, um, you know, I, I, to be honest, I haven't really kept in touch with what that environment looks like uh, now. So maybe just a couple of comments and thoughts on how that progressed. Yeah. There's Digital Health London so, now, there's, there's a bunch of things yeah. ecosystem-wise. So, I mean, I mean, I think that the first thing to say is it doesn't matter what market you're in, you've got to get your value proposition right. And in order to get that right, you have to really understand the problem from the perspective of the person, of the, of the ultimate customer. And I was really fortunate because I wasn't really thinking of creating a business. I was getting obsessed with the problem. 
And I got obsessed with that problem so in such a detailed way. But what that meant was that when I landed with the value proposition, it was absolutely bang on because I'd really understood it from everybody's perspective. And I'd also experienced the NHS as a clinician, as a patient, as a system leader, as a commissioner, a payer, or as a provider. And so I'd been in a really fortunate position, but you've really got to understand the problem. Now, the, the, the thing about the NHS is there is nothing national about it. Um, no. People quite often come to England and think, oh, I'll sell to the NHS as if it's one organisation. There's nothing national about it. And within the NHS, it's very, very complicated. So incentives are not always where you would think they would be. So you also have to understand the incentives. So I'll give you a really good example. A hospital will get paid for patients coming into hospital. They are not incentivized to keep patients out of hospital. That sits somewhere else. A GP is paid for other things. A commissioner will get money to look after a population. And now we've got these things called the ICSs, which are integrated mm. care systems, which try to bring the whole thing together. And they've got the responsibility and accountability for population health, as well as providing health care. And I'm really hopeful that the ICSs will encourage better alignment of incentives. So it's about getting your value proposition right, really understanding their problem thinking through the flow of money and incentives in the system. And then the third thing is you've got to find the right person who's excited about what you're going to do, because these are busy people fighting fires. Yep. And if they're not excited about what you're trying to do, they're not going to push with you. And, um, and then the, 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 the final thing I'd say is understand the bureaucracy. There is a process that they have to go through and help them. It's a hard process if you're on the inside of the NHS. You've got to take business cases to board. So if you're yep. a business, write that business case for your client, help them, put your return on investment together, support them, and don't give them more work to do. And then when you get the contract, that's when the fun and game start. So you've then got another sell about delivery, implementation, adoption, because if you don't think about that, you're never going to get a renewal. So it, 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 there's probably similarities in, in other markets, but I would oh, say yeah. that that's one of the biggest things. I feel like the UK has a unique as a unique approach, you know, like that's my feeling, you know, that's my feeling. I, I've launched our technology into lots of different markets and in a, in a classic sense of, um, you know, I, I always have a lot of respect for the UK, the national, the, the fact that people take their healthcare system, they really see themselves as part of it, right? Like it's like a, it's yes. like a, almost like a duty of service that yeah. we want the right technology you know, culturally, you know, not afraid of bureaucracy and process in the UK, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, you know, no, uh, exactly. yeah, no. <laughs> not afraid of it, say that in those way. you know, yeah. and, you know, and it, it quite, you know, quite unique. And I, I, you know, I feel like with Diga, with the Germans, it's been definitely approached very differently, quite forward thinking, right? Like, uh, like that Orca, like what your work, the, yeah. the NHSX directorate, um, it feels like they've tackled it, you know, very uniquely. That's, would you agree, Eugene, or you think, or Liz, or? 
I mean, again, I've been sort of disconnected from the market. I, you know, been following Diga, I've been following Belgium. And again, this is more specifically around digital therapies, right? Um, where yeah. I think kind of the the approach that NICE has taken, I think a little bit broader, right? And I think with, mm-hmm. uh, but that's, that's again, my sort of peripheral view now on the UK. I, I've been kind of out of it. Yeah, no, I mean, so I, what, what we speak is we work um, with lots of different countries across Europe and um, next month, we're launching formally Orca in the States, um, oh, wow. Canada and New Zealand. So, yeah, we've got our offices in Boston. So um, oh, awesome. we'll be formally launching um, next month, which is really exciting. Um, but what we see is um, there are five steps to digital health adoption. And what we see is that different systems attack these steps in different points. So the first step is know which technologies are good. So in Germany, they set up the DIGA. Here in the NHS, they set up something called the DAC, and that's now been reconsidered, um, and it's called the DTAC, and that's also where NICE have the evidence standard framework. Now, the next step is you then need to, it sounds simple, you then need to tell people which ones meet that criteria. The third is you then need to embrace your healthcare professionals and provide them with the ability to recommend or signpost to these technologies. The fourth is then embed into pathways so that it becomes normal care. And the fifth is reimbursement. Now, in DIGA, you've got step one and five done. They've missed out the middle section. And and the, the middle section is really important for scalability and sustainability. So if you're a doctor, how am I recommending this? What am I recommending? When am I recommending it? If I'm a person, how do I know? Now, in, um, here in the UK, we've been working, that's the bit that really, when we do do the reviews, um, but that's not our mission. Our mission is to do this other section. And the whole thing is connected. Now, here in the NHS, obviously, NHSX created the DTAC, which is great. We've got NICE, the ESF. And then Orca have been working with the system in that regional way or organisational way to do the next four steps, because there isn't a national reimbursement but products and digital therapeutics being reimbursed at organizational and regional level. Now, there is, I think, a move towards a national reimbursement system here in the NHS. So I see it's a bit of a jigsaw puzzle, and Mm. different systems have got different parts of the jigsaw puzzle, um, and it's going to be interesting to see who makes the full picture first. Mm. I was going to say the race to the five. Sorry, I'm like looking up to this, I'm like... Yeah, race to the I feel five. like it's going like to be a it. it's going to be a small country that just has is completely behind the scenes and then just moves really quickly. <laughs> it's going to be like like yeah. in Estonia or something. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I've got my bets on Canada. Ooh, Canada, oh. really? Yeah, yeah, I've got my bets on Canada. Yeah, they've got some really they've been doing some amazing thinking and work in this area, mm. and I feel that they've got the pathway laid out. Might be wrong, but. Um, yeah, yeah, Canada. We have like we struggled with Canada. You know, um, we struggled with it. We kind of, you know, but that's a few years ago now. So maybe, hopefully, that's great news. Yeah, I mean, you, you can hop over. You know, exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm coming out next um, month. I don't know if you're if you'll be in um, Orlando um, in March, but um, yeah, it'd be great to catch up. Totally. Yeah. Well, we were just discussing before we let you in, we're, uh, we're going to be, well, Jim and I are going to be in San Antonio. And then um, since you're launching next month, uh, any plans on being at Vive in Miami, Liz? Yes. Yeah. I, so I personally can't be because I'm getting married 
Um, Congratulations. Very light, very light. So we've been together forever and we decided on a small wedding (laughs) pre-COVID two years ago and it's going to happen this year. So, um, so yes, I can't be at Bib because that's when we're getting married and we'll be on honeymoon. But I'll be um, in Orlando for him in... Uh, oh, thank you for the claps. Yes. <laughs> I, just need, I, I just need to lose a bit more weight to fit in the dress I bought two years ago. Uh, I, I just wish the proposal was done live on the shot. That would have been a Shall I get him in? <laughs> yeah. you know, it's really funny. We've, we've actually been engaged 10 years. Oh, wow. All right. Well... Is that like a, a double clap? It's, it's kind of like a detac a detac process, or yeah, I've, I've been quality assuring him for the last ten years. He's he's finally passed. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, I just got busy with Orca. Yeah, next thing you know, ten years fly by, right? Or or uh, exactly. You know, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if you've, um, I'm, I'm looking back and I, at some point, I think Emus, am I pronounced Emus, yeah, had like yeah. uh, some yeah. kind of a library. I don't know if they still have it around. Yeah, they uh, did. Um, Do you know, I, I don't know where that's at. So yeah, so they created um, a digital health library for clinicians within the electronic health record. And you know, when I was describing those five steps, yep. they focused on step three, which was giving healthcare professionals a way of recommending technologies. But that list wasn't connected to a review um, and it wasn't connected to reimbursement. And the problem with not connecting a digital health library for clinicians to a review is no clinician will ever recommend a technology because it's paid to put in front of them. Mm. In the same way, you can't with a drug. And you know, we're all, as a clinician, you're trained to be really careful about your professional indemnity and your duty of care. Yep. And so that has to be the first step, that robust review infrastructure. And it has to be done repeatedly because, um, you know, what we, I knew this right from day one, and it's a thorny challenge. But if you review a technology today, and then I recommend it tomorrow based on a review done yesterday, what happens if it's changed? And even if it changed, what happens after I've recommended it? And so we wanted a fully connected system that allows the system to track if there's a change in the product, we then re-review it. And if we find a future fault, we can do a recall. And that is so important for managing safety and risk. And that's why we get more adoption than um, people who just focus on that third step. Don't you think like it's, it almost feels like we need to reverse that, that if a digital health technology doesn't change, then you're not shipping code, you're not adding improvements to it, and it almost Absolutely. should be pulled. It should be pulled if it doesn't change it versus is. this other idea yeah. of so like we, it's a we, risk. We pull it after 18 months if it's not been updated, because if a product isn't updated, it's glitchy, there's security right. compromised, but it's also a proxy to say nobody's looking after it clinically. So right. we do both. Um, so after 18 months, and then what we do is we alert in the same way that, you know, medics get alerts about changes to drugs. Um, we alert um, every month, um, healthcare professionals, this one's been taken off, this is your replacement one, um, right. or this has been updated. Um, and the formula immediately updates um, when the re-reviews going through. So talk, talk a little bit about the communications into the clinicians and like how you envision that 
happening over time? Because I think that's one of the biggest questions as like us as a digital health company, uh, like Health Beacon, you know, we all, we look at that, oh, at one day, are we going to have to sell in clinicians the way a medical device company or a pharmaceutical company, you know, would send medical science liaisons and representatives and, and you know, and go to um, medical conferences and the costs of that and the, you know, the challenges of that. How do you think about that? So, so I think that there's a few parts to that question. And um, the first is, I think that the reimbursement has to be directly connected to the standard and the quality. And the reason why is because innovators won't do that if there isn't a, a prize to be given. So the reason pharmaceutical companies are happy to go through all these regulatory processes and checks is because there's a reimbursement process at the end. And at the minute, we're not connecting. So DIGA have done that bit really, really well. Mm -hmm. And the second bit is whether you're going to have to go out and do the sales. I hope not. So the thing is, is what happens on the clinician side is clinicians and medics are trained in drugs, for example. In their training, we're, we're all trained in what to deploy to our patients. And that's based on clinical evidence which should form a part of the quality standard. And this is something that DIGA have missed. So they, they allowed products to meet the DIGA without needing that clinical evidence. And therefore clinicians mm. knew that and they're not going to recommend it. So that has to be a core part of the um, quality review. We then need to embrace clinicians from a workforce development. So I did my training way over 20 years ago. It's almost identical. There's no digital in it. So if we're not um, helping healthcare professionals to even know about these technologies, how can they ever embrace them? Because we are trained to be risk averse. So mm. training is really important. Now, one of the things that we've done at Orca um, is we've created the Digital Health Academy. So most training globally for digital has focused on the champions, so the champion clinicians. And that's really important. But what we've done is we've focused on lifting up everybody so that everybody yep. has a basic knowledge. And it's a Digital Health Academy, which is actually sponsored by Bowringer. And that makes it free for any, currently any NHS um, health and care professional. And so the idea there is that everybody has some basic knowledge and then the clinician can then modulize additional learning. And this is where it really starts to come to life. So if I'm a diabetologist, I'm not interested in sexual health, digital technologies. I'm not interested in COPD. I want to know about the technology that can help me and my patients. So I'm going to do the diabetes modules. If I'm in sexual health, I'm going to do the sexual health modules. If I'm in mental health, I'm going to do the mental health modules. And I think we have to fragment things out. That's how clinicians learn. Once we know about technologies and we understand the evidence behind it, we're far more likely to then embrace it. Once we embrace it and recommend it to our patients through our platforms, we see a high conversion rate post-recommendation. So 71% of all technologies recommended from a healthcare professional will convert in a download. And a few people have said, that's not very high, 71%. But when you look at the conversion rate of drug recommendation, drug prescription, that's only 74%. And so it's very similar from a conversion perspective. And the great thing with digital is then you can track usage, which you can't track adherence on a drug. And then you can start to incorporate behavioral change. Now, I'm not saying that all this is going to be done tomorrow because we're on a journey, aren't we? But I, I can see that this has to be done yep. systematically and systemically rather than one product by one. 
Is anyone, any product, when you look at your data blowing you out from a, you know, really surprising you on the upside from an adoption perspective, like they're really getting adopted? Is anything what area? Yeah, I mean, and, and it's, you probably won't be surprised. Um, it's particularly around mental health. So um, I think we've seen a real groundswell in people really embracing digital health and digital therapeutics from a mental health perspective. And that's because we've never had enough capacity to meet the demand. Yep, yep. Um, or obviously, in, in the sense you say, behavioural health, don't you? So we've never had the capacity and demand meet, but it's become even worse. And how and many so, mental health applications are there? I mean, technologies, is, is 20, there? A- 21,000. What? 21,000 21, applications Util- in mental health. Yeah. Just in mental 21K. health. 21K. Yeah. Just, just what you guys saw, or is this like a, a <laughs> That's global That's globally, pick? yeah. Globally, 21,000. But I mean, most of those are accessible in most countries. 21,000. I mean, about, about, about 5,000 of those are for workplace anxiety. That makes me anxious. There's only yeah. one of my product. <laughs> How does, yeah. how, how does anybody actually choose? How does anybody choose, right? You, yeah. You've hit the nail on the head. And the thing is, we do need an ecosystem of technologies. So if I take something really simple like anxiety and I just look at my family and I pick me, my teenage son and my eight-year-old son, if we're all feeling anxious, it's highly likely we're not going to want the same technology. So right. it's okay to have more than one technology. But as a clinician, I need to know which is right for which person at what point. It's more right. complicated than this is just the best mental health app. But one better. sure way, one sure way of achieving anxiety is to introduce twenty-one thousand decisions. Absolutely. What we do is, is, is we say to clinicians, "Here is a suite, and these are the best technologies in these instances." So, for example, teenagers. There's a, a really good anxiety product called Me Too. You will have never heard of it. Most people have never heard of it. It's free at the point of use, and it's specifically for anxiety in teenagers. Nobody's heard of it. If you've not heard of it, you're never going to recommend it. And if you don't, if you've heard of it, and then you'd be thinking, oh, but can it be trusted? Yes, it can be trusted. Oh, but can it be trusted on an ongoing basis? And this is why we need a systematic approach to the deployment and activation. Just doing it single. We, we would never buy drugs by just saying, oh, we'll buy one antibiotic. Hmm. I mean, it, it would feel crazy. So Yeah, and you got to get your model, right? Like, sorry, Eugene, go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, I'll, I'll remember my question, I think. <laughs> uh, you got like as a, you're sitting there you like you you gotta have like someone comes in you know you check them for hay fever you know flu you know antibacterials you know nowadays covid you know like you, you know you're going in you gotta have your toolkit of like two or three Absolutely. possible yeah. options and it, we, once you get beyond that there's no utility I, I would think you know i mean i mean i, I think what's going to happen in the future and we're already starting to do this work with a number of um ehr vendors is the EHR knows about the individual. We know about the world of digital health. You put those two things together and bingo, you're away. So if I'm a clinician in my system, in the same way that it, it advises me to maybe s- switch a script 
it. Um, uh, It it can say, oh, this is the best technology. Oh, you're prescribing Ventolin for a a four-year-old child. This is the technology for that person. Mm. Am I going to, yeah, I'm going to recommend that together. And I think that that's what's going to happen. And I really believe that if we can crack this, digital is our new medicine. And we can get the right technology to people very quickly. You can do this in a PHR as well. So in a personal health record, the personal health record knows about the person. We know about the technology. Let's put the two things together. I always wanted ORCID to be almost like the background thing, not the foreground thing. We've become a bit of a foreground thing because that infrastructure wasn't ready. But I can really start to see a shift. So I was, I was going to ask uh, kind of along the same lines. I mean, what, what we've been just talking about just seems so obvious, right? Um, and, you know, of course, when you put the five fingers up and go through it, but also just the model of this. Um, have you taken any lessons? Like, I'm just trying to remember back in kind of my New York days, um, there was a gentleman, uh, Ben Chodor, who was running okay. for a couple of years, this thing called Haptique, I think actually somewhere yes. around yes. when... And so it, it was. was supposed it... to be kind of similar, right? Like I, you know, Jim, you're okay. You're okay, you're okay. Take a breath. Don't speak. Get some water. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. have yeah. 2,300 do not choke apps available. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, like I can be, I'll recommend you one. That was the first, that was the first choke of all of our 90 <laughs> episodes. <laughs> well, I'm very fortunate to have been here and sort of seen that. Yes, yeah, so yeah. Haptic was really interesting. So that actually got shut down just as I was um, thinking about Orca. That's so um, yeah. I have a, a lot to say thank you for because their, their biggest challenge is actually their business model. Um, so their business model, which w- w- was what shut the whole thing down. So they were um, inviting developers and innovators to pay to go through a process mm, and right. then publishing the outcome of that. And mm. obviously the reality is, and then it was more challenging than now, most innovators don't know what the rules are. And so there's a journey of compliance for the innovator. And so it, it became a stick rather than a carrot. There was mm. complaints and that ended up in court and it got shut down. Um, now, what we wanted to do, I, because you know, I shared with you my story, I, part of my journey was about supporting economic development. And I really see this as, you know, there's a lot of new jobs in digital health. This, you know, there's, we, we don't have enough people in this space. This can really help to support our economic development. And I really could see that. So we, when we work with a digital health technology, we help them on that compliance journey. And 70% of all of the compliance assessment is completely free. We will do that. Now, we are a company, but we do that because we need more great technologies that meet the quality yep. criteria. So there's lots of them, but not enough good ones. So we want to help. Now, to achieve an accreditation, there is a, there is a, a fee to work with Orca for us to put you through that process, but we will help you achieve that accreditation. And we'll only publish it once we achieve that accreditation. Now, because that data from um, uh, compliance is then held in a database, what we'll also do is then transfer that compliance data to the next vertical, the next jurisdiction that you're interested in working in. So you do an NHS DTAC, or you now want to achieve EU ISO, that's fine, but you're actually 85% of the way through that now. So then we only have to incrementally achieve further compliance. So it's a complicated model. And then obviously the other bit is um, what we sell is that 
infrastructure, so digital health infrastructure for healthcare systems so that digital health can be safely adopted and recommended and prescribed and also reimbursed. So our business model as with a direct consequence actually some of the learning from Haptique um, and you know they, they've done some great stuff I know that one of the chaps went on to support the creation of Exertia so they're still obviously passionate yeah. about this space. Interesting. So yeah. So Jim I know we're kind of getting to that point um, I have a bazillion other questions for Liz but I um, I don't know are you, are you ready for your famous question or are you got also Ooh, more, more hot topics? I'm ready? always ready. I'm always ready. <laughs> All right. We can see where it is. I'll brace myself. So, yeah. yeah. So ima- imagine yourself, like just put yourself back in time and you are a unbelievably successful, you know, digital health entrepreneur working with all the governments in the world you've, and you've, you're married, to, you know, healthily for 20 <laughs> something years and you're giving advice to your younger self or someone that looks like you're yourself. So this uh, lovely woman who just graduated with a speech and language, uh, you know, uh, degree, or sorry, um, qualification. And they've invented the most transformative application that's going to just transform healthcare across the whole ecosystem. What advice would you give that person as they're starting out on their journey? Oh, so many. So many lessons learned from my perspective. So the, the first thing is um, falling in love with the problem, not the solution. Um, and because um, that's what's going to get you up in the morning. Um, surround yourself with amazing people. You can't be great at everything. So know what you're good at and know what you're not good at and surround yourself with an amazing team. Be true to your values and be true to yourself. Um, and if it doesn't feel right, probably isn't. So we're a real mission-driven organisation. We recruit to those values. And if you meet anybody in Orca, you'll see those values running through them. Um, I'll just say two more. Um, the next one is Love success it. isn't about never falling down. It's about um, keep getting up. You will fall down, keep getting up. Um, and then the final one is be grateful. And it's a privileged journey. Enjoy it. Love it. Well, we're very, very privileged to have you here with us. So thank you uh, for being on this journey with us today. So no, thank you so much for your time. It's been brilliant. It's been really fun. That was phenomenal. I've got to have to digest a lot of uh, I know, wonderful I know. insights. <laughs> and, and my five oh, bullet points you. in the summary that will be up in an hour or so uh, won't be enough. So and so for the listeners oh. and viewers, subscribe follow share and uh, see you next week thank you good luck with the marriage (laughs) see you later